This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the magazine, and on this program we invite poets to choose a poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss. Then, of course, we ask them to read one of their own poems that's been published in the magazine. And my guest uh, today is Yusuf Kominyaka, who won the 1994 Pulitzer Prize for his collection Neon Vernacular. His uh, most recent book is Testimony. Yusuf Kominyaka, you're very welcome. Thank you. The poem you chose uh, to read today is uh, by Marilyn Hacker. It's a poem called Names. Would you like to tell us uh, perhaps what drew you to this poem in particular? Well, what really drew me was the first four words, be mindful of names. And it establishes a certain kind of tone, and it's a tone of authority. And then midway through the poem, that tone sort of shifts and creates a different kind of tension. And at the end of the poem, which is a sonnet, at the end of the poem, it picks up that same tone that's in those first four words of the poem. Marilyn Hacker, it's fair to say, excels in the sonnet form. She's written a lot of them. Yes. What's your sense of uh, what it is about that form that so uh, attracts her, would you say? Well, I think what happens in that form for her is that um, one has the profound along with the everyday. And what I mean by the everyday, it happens right in the middle of a poem, uh, the ragged, skinny guy taking a piss, mm-hmm. along with uh, the matron tanning her calves on a bench, skirt tucked around her knees. In a strange way, that is every day nowadays in a poem. I can remember when the idea of taking a piss was not so common right. in a poem. In <laughs> right. fact, I remember the very first poem I read in which taking a piss, as it were, featured, and that was a poem by Philip Larkin. Uh, and it seemed quite outrageous at the time, but things have changed, perhaps? One would hope so. <laughs> so anyway, let's hear names. Yes. Names. Be mindful of names. They are etched themselves like daily specials 
on the window glass in a delible medium. Their past transformed, erased. A cloud the wind dissolves above the ruckus of the under twelves on the slide, the toddlers on the grass, the ragged, skinny guy taking a piss in the bushes, a matron tanning her calves on a bench, skirt tucked around her knees. A sparrow lands in the japonica as if it were a signal. All at once, masked pigeons rush up from adjacent trees, wingbeats intrusive and symphonic. A near total silence is the clear response. And that was Names by Marilyn Hacker, which was published in the September 22nd, 2008 issue of the magazine. There's a rhyme in there which really, uh, I suppose, runs the risk of drawing a bit of attention to itself. Paradoxically, we admire rhymes that don't draw attention to themselves. But there's one here, Japonica and Symphonica. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I thought it worked to have that A sitting out on the end of the penultimate line. Now, basically, the idea of a particularly an article, definite or in this case indefinite, hanging out there is considered <laughs> to be quite dangerous. Well, with Marilyn, I think she has written so many superb sonnets She can take that chance. I think she can. And, of course, not only is there the question of taking the chance, but there's the question of... uh, (laughs) Executing it. (laughs) Executing it and it paying off, which are two quite different things. Anything else about it there that you uh, would like to draw our attention to? Well, it seems to be a composite of contrasts. Mm -hmm. And, in a sense, that creates a kind of tension in the body of the poem. It seems whole and complete. And at the same time, there's something about that first phrase, be mindful of names, Mm -hmm. because names, I suppose, can also conjure ghosts or feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all there as well, because when I got to the end of the poem, I was sent back up to that phrase. It's more there than what we realize is a kind of superb silence within the context of the poem as well. That's right. By the time the end of the poem comes around, in a strange way, what we're talking about is an absence of any naming at all, at least anything we hear. Right. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts.
You know, I'd love if you wouldn't mind if we could move on to your own poem, Night Gigging, if you wouldn't mind reading that for us. Night Gigging. A three-pronged spear waits for a bullfrog to sing bass from the weedy mill pond. A silhouette lingers, cleaved from the kneeling man back to hunger and simple philosophy of the spheres. How dirt begs for a seed to work into a thick rut, to pry up the foundation of a heavy wooden bridge. There's a ghost poised between free will and the gig, waiting for the song, the blink of an eye, and a golly of bloomy thorns. Martian light on tall grass guides the practice instrument. Hold, oh, now go. It calls with open vowels, looping through a froggy nighttime domain, a knot in the throat. And, yeah, cinching up the bloated moon in a bag. Beautiful night gigging by Yusuf Kumanyaka, who's our guest today. Yusuf, it struck me when I first read this poem that you were very much in dialogue and you can correct me if I've got this wrong, but it seemed to me you were very much in dialogue with uh, some of the poets of the early part of the 20th century who went under the banner of the Imagists. Uh, <laughs> there was Amy Lowell, of course, that were known uh, in some cases because of her name as the Imagists. But I'm thinking of Pound, of course, uh, Ezra Pound, T.E. Hume, but that extraordinary image at the end there, cinching up the bloated moon in a bag, quite reminiscent of some of the poems in that tradition. H.D., of course, Hilda Doolittle, one of the prime uh, exemplars of it too. Are those poets for whom you have any time? I've read uh, especially poem and H.D., of course. And I understand exactly what you mean by the images because I trust the image to deliver a certain kind of, um, we can say, important gesture right. inside the body of the poem. But um, I suppose as well, the South is there. Oh, yes. so. Of course it is. It sort of took me back uh, to um, Bogalusa, Louisiana, a mill porn that I really knew. And at the same time, I didn't want to just capture the spirit of that moment. For me, I had to be surprised. And I think maybe it came with the Martian light. You mentioned the Martian light. The light of Mars. The There was, of course, a, a movement. I don't want to bring everything back to a literary source, but there was a brief-lived movement in poetry in English called yes. Martianism, which was... I suppose spearheaded, if I may use that term in a poem about gigging, um, <laughs> if, if, by uh, Craig Rain and and one or two other poets, um, in which they they found outrageous comparisons in the world, outrageous uh, metaphors. So talk to me a little bit about what the Martian means here for you. Do you mean like a light of the kind we would get from Mars? 
I think it's the quality of light. Mm-hmm. It seems at that moment, um, as I envision it, kind of eerie and at the same time ordinary for mm-hmm. that place, the mill pond and the frog. Again, a kind of symphonic moment. I suppose the bullfrog is definitely a bullfrog, but it could be a little bit more than a bullfrog. So in other words, it stands in for something else. Sometimes a bullfrog is only a bullfrog, but in this case... Well, I'm interested how um, nature is sort of collaborative at times. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that the frog is actually uh, lamenting, we can say it's it's a lamentation, is because of the fullness of the moon. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed, Yusuf Kamanyaka, for reading Night Gigging and uh, Names by Marilyn Hacker. Copies of those poems can be found on newyorker.com. Yusuf Kamanyaka's latest book of poems is Testimony. I'm Paul Muldoon, poetry editor of The New Yorker, and until next time, thank you very much indeed, Yusuf. Thank you much. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store. You can also hear poems from the magazine read by the authors in the digital edition for tablets and phones, available at no extra charge for magazine subscribers from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Pentagree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alistair Fraser and Natalie Haas from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Curtis Fox Productions and NewYorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon.